0: our love is what we make of it our love is what we make of it our love is what we make of it our love is what
1: we make of it sex for smart people that that means means you hi and welcome to sex for smart people it's episode 11 we did it we made the next prime number after seven
0: (laughs) on this episode salty brian is back woohoo Yeah, if
1: you listened to the last episode, the All Quickies episode, you know what an awesome, groovy human being Salty Brian is. And if you haven't, you're in for a treat. He's an artist, an educator, performer, writer, rad human being of all stripes. We're going to dig in with Salty, do some singing like we Mm -hmm. do, then talk about gender and why we should all give a shit about it, even if it seems Mm -hmm. simple. Stick around. Mm -hmm. You're going to like this one. So we'll
0: talk to Salty. We'll address some questions from listeners, and then we'll do our Quickies section uh, where we rant about or endorse something and dear listeners we are as ever just so so glad and grateful to be in conversation with you and also we've got to reach out to you for some help um thus far for the first 10 episodes dave and i have been paying out of pocket for our web hosting costs and for paying our mix engineer and that's been a joy to do thus far to get this off the ground, but we can't sustain that much longer, but we are really committed to keeping this podcast going and to always, always, always keeping our content free. And so there's this awesome new fundraising platform called Patreon, and it's kind of like Kickstarter, but whereas Kickstarter is like for one big goal, Patreon, you can pledge any amount per episode we create. And so we're wondering, if you're in a position to, and if you dig what we're doing, uh, would you consider going to patreon.com slash sexforsmartpeople, that's patreo com slash sexforsmartpeople and donating, or rather pledging, $1 to $5 per episode if you're in a position to? That would help us out so, so, so much.
1: And, uh, yes, I'm going full NPR (laughs) voice now. If you are able to do this, um, we will send you this tote bag, which does not actually exist. Uh, This invisible tote bag bag that, 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 you won't even Mm. believe it. You look at, you look into it and just immediately reach Uh, climax. Tote bags. It's gonna be pretty good oh yeah listen if 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 you're if you're in the position to and I get if you're not, I'm certainly not, but if you have it and you like it, maybe throw us a buck or two an episode, and if you're not in the position to, which again uh I agree i I understand, um maybe consider letting other people know about our podcast by by sending postcards to all your family mm-hmm. and friends and telling them about all the invisible tote bags they may have available to them if they listen.
0: (laughs) So thank you so much for even considering. And of course, as always, above and beyond, we're just so glad that you are in conversation with us. And please send us your thoughts, your questions, your objections at any time.
1: You are all rad. (laughs) Okay, enjoy the episode. Hi, and welcome the Sex for Smart People. I'm Dave, and my preferred pronoun
0: is he. I'm Stephanie, and my preferred pronouns are she or they, and we've decided there might be a lot of singing in this
1: episode.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Hi, my name is Salty Brine, and my preferred pronouns are any pronoun you can think of. I love pronouns, and, and let's make up pronouns and we can use them.
0: Tastes great, last filling. What's your favorite made-up pronoun, Salty Brian?
2: Uh, I was just thinking. Well, I don't know if I have a, a made-up one on, on the top of my head. I was thinking, uh, uh, what was? Oh, I was talking to my friend Dan today, and he uses sissy. Sissy, come over here. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, yes, that works for me. Uh, uh, Good.
0: My friend Diana uses uses sir.
2: Sir. Mmm. So, so yes. Well, right then, I snap to attention when I hear that. <sighs> <laughs>
0: So salty brine. Yeah. What is your relationship to relationships? Oh yes.
2: Well, it you know, it's so complicated, and I feel like listening to your podcast. I hear people it, it get to that question, and they go, "Oh, oh Lord, here we go." <laughs> uh, yeah, I have. I've, I've been thinking about it all day, and I think it's related to my communities that. I have all of these communities, and some of them overlap, and others are sort of floating out there on their own, and I have relationships with people within those communities. And uh, so so I, I'm connected to individuals, but I'm also connected relationship-wise to groups of people, mm-hmm. and I relate to those people in different ways. So, for example, my family members, uh, we have a way of going about relating to each other, which we have learned from living together and communicating for so many years in very particular ways, uh, roles. And then I have my core group of friends and we have built a family together, mm-hmm. a community of people and have decided together in spoken and unspoken ways, how we relate to each other. And then I have, uh, sexual partners and ex lovers and, current lovers and all, all of those people and some of those people exist in a bubble and it's just me and them and we're never around other people when we're together ever mm-hmm. uh, or <clears throat> we used to date for a time and now we don't and I don't know so I've built relationships like communities of two <laughs> you know which are which are different and interesting mm-hmm. and then I make theater so I build families very quickly Mm -hmm. with groups of people ranging in size and get one of my jobs is to get very close and very comfortable with people very quickly. Mm -hmm. I consider that one of my jobs and one of my strengths, um, not in, and not in a false way, not in a fake way. How do you get close to people quickly and honestly Mm -hmm. and, um, form those relationships because it's really necessary in order to build, make the thing that we're going to make collaboratively. Mm. Uh, so that's another kind of community and, and family.
0: Hmm.
2: That's, that's my relationship to relationships, I think. I think about it like that. And the other thing I was thinking is that it's work. Um, sometimes it's fun work and sometimes it's not fun work, but it can be exhausting work either way. Yep. And, uh, and sometimes I want to go into a room and close the door and be by myself. And I'm really, dangerously good by myself.
0: You have a great relationship to yourself. I do,
2: I do. And I and it, sometimes it's I can, I can go days without seeing people and be okay. And then I get to a point where I realize where I can see after so many days, I start to see how very much I need other people. What makes it dangerous? It makes it dangerous because. I think, well, as an artist, it makes it dangerous because my job is other people Um, and sometimes I get tired and I have this impulse to go away, (laughs) to just go away from people because I'm exhausted from relating and um, so I find it dangerous in that way. I also find it dangerous because I've been in pretty dark places in my life where I have felt like I needed to abandon everyone and those were very scary, dark times for me. And so being alone risks that sometimes for Mm me. Um, though being alone can be a very joyful thing for me, it's, it, it, it can walk the edge of danger for me in terms of being lonely and alone, you know, permanently or something. I start
0: to, walk a line of that, which can be scary. I just, yeah. so I love all of your work as an artist, as a cabaret performer and as a writer. Um, Thank you. I also have such great respect for you as an educator. And I've been really inspired hearing about what like kind of who you want your students to be and what mm. questions you would like them mm. to sit in. Can you talk a little bit about your approach with working with undergrads, studying theater and and I remember something like you wear heels on the first
2: or second day. <laughs> yeah, 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 I wear heels on the first day of class. Well, well I teach so her he wears heels. Since so he wears day. heels, <laughs> uh, I, I, I happen to have lucked out. Um, as my father would say, you've got a horseshoe up your ass. I'm, I'm a very lucky also, person. Literally.
1: <laughs> literally, right now, right this now,
0: very minute, we all do. How that feel?
1: <laughs> it feels great. <laughs> Um, nice for a Shetland Pony. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: I lucked out, and then I, I landed a job teaching this class that that feeds me in just seemingly endless ways. And I've been teaching it now for I don't I actually don't even know six years or seven years, maybe yeah. less, more or less. I don't know something like that. Um, basically, it's it's a class that I, I've kind of invented. It existed before me, and it was. Uh, you know, bring in, bring in people to talk about the theater and you just schedule, they said to me, you just schedule the, pe- the people, here's the list of people you schedule okay. in. And slowly over the years, I've been like, great, now I'm going to completely take this over and bring in whoever I want and talk about whatever I want to. Uh, as Quentin Crisp says, one of my heroes, uh, say what you've come to say, always say what you've come to say. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's what I tried to do. And what have you come to say? I've come to say uh, that I think the theater is essential, and I think that television creates most of our theater now, um, and movies create most of our theater now. I know theater is, is steeped in liveness, and that is where I thrive, um, but what we need is to watch people in performance watch people, performing people. We crave it, and we watch it as much as we can. You know, we binge-watch Netflix to get it. Um, it's it's so essential. Um, and it's really just the technology that has changed the shape of it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I think that's one of the big things I've come to say. And... But my class is... Uh, I, I don't ever... I try to let the kids find their way towards whatever they've come to say. I mean, I think that's the class more is what have you come to say? Mm-hmm. It asks a question. Um, so on the first day of class, you know, I introduce myself and I go through the syllabus and say, we're going to meet meeting all of these different people here. They Here's the list of people I've decided to bring in. Here's what they do. We'll learn more about them on the day that they come. We'll interview them. We'll ask them whatever questions you want to ask them. Anything from, you know, what kind of art do you make to... What, what was your first kiss like? Mm-hmm. Have you ever been in love? Um, what do you do with your free time when you're not making art? You know, to try to get a bigger picture. Where are you from? Um, could you tell us a moment of loss and a moment of gain? Wow. Yeah, just, just to make a 3D person, you know? To get a... And not just a, here's what you should do. I've been through theater school and this is what the right. business mm-hmm. is like. But, hi, I'm a human being. These are my experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and and hopefully get the kids to see that they call the shots, and they make the rules, and there are as many careers as there are
1: people. I'm going to be betray a bias here by saying that I feel like, despite the... Like, I feel like even in our frenetic theater school existence, the, mm. theater, the people who study art and theater are still seen as slackers or like they're not doing real <laughs> work. Yeah, But that I found... I'm, I'm, bluntly, I found that people who have taken the time to go through art school have thought about their, themselves more. Because I feel like our job in school was have an opinion and defend it, like, mm-hmm. like know what you think and do it. That if if that's the thing you take from school, know what you think and then do it. That. Stephanie Foundation. Kick me, down. kick
0: me. Well, my fantasy utopia. It's a game I love playing. Like, okay. what is your fantasy utopia? Uh, there are many things that I need to think more about and that I don't know about. But um, disclaimer, we all went to NYU Tisch together. We all went to theater school together. Yes, <laughs> we did. There's about half
1: a million dollars of debt in this indeed. room. <laughs>
0: but um But when I think about my fantasy utopia, there's a lot Mm. that I don't know. But I think that, like, if I were a dictator and had no choice in the matter, that that the world would do what I say, Mm -hmm. that um, after high school, there would be mandated at least a year of... Theater school training, because for me it is about like what do you think and how do you defend it, but also about empathy and collaboration. Yeah. And for me, I'm not. Um, I work as a composer in theater, but I'm not doing theater full time. But I it really like the skills that I got from theater school are inform everything that I do and are rooted in empathy and collaboration, which are kind of my core values. And so that, and then. Um, after that, a year of some kind of community service, like AmeriCorps style. And then you're allowed to choose what the fuck you may want to do mm. with your life. Like, I wish that I actually lived in that fantasy utopia. But, like, I wish that everyone who's 18 would be in Salty Brian's class. That'd be pretty good. Oh, come on by.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To address the heels... Mm. Uh you know, I play. You like... guys are jerks. <laughs> <laughs> get it? Huh. There's a
1: huh. heel
2: pun. Huh. Well. Oh, no. <laughs> if you didn't mm-hmm. get that, uh, watch more vaudeville. So I. <laughs> now,
1: uh, I
2: I pull I pull out heels because I want to talk about social construction. I want to talk about. I use gender because I play with gender in my art all the time. And because I've spent so much time thinking about it just personally, it's a great way for me to get into the conversation. And um, so I talk a little bit. I bring the heels out. I put them on. It's always a moment of, right, you have a room of, uh, you know, 40, 18-year-olds. Maybe some of them are savvy about gender. Some of them have been playing with gender. But a lot of them, especially at NYU, you know, they've been very sheltered. And so here, you know, I slip on these heels and it's like, oh my goodness. Well, well, my goodness. They look at him. And Hi, my and oh, my, 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 my. <laughs> and and uh, so I, I say, you know, it, it took me a long time to be able to put these heels on and walk around in front of people, but I've been doing it ever since I was a little kid alone, you know, hiding mm-hmm. it. Uh, and... I, I, we don't need to go, we don't need to like dig into the gender thing, but I just want to say what I've learned, what I have learned from playing with gender and playing with sexuality is that uh, people told me for a long time what the truth was about those things and I believed them and it hurt me very much and was very hard on me and then I came into my own and discovered that I believed something very different from those people. Mm-hmm. And because I had that discovery, then I thought, oh, those people, those people were lying to me, mm-hmm. you know? Or, or not lying, but, but their truth was very different from my truth. And mm-hmm. so I, I thought, well, what else were they wrong about? If those two things were wrong, what about everything else they said to me? And then everything else came into question. Every single thing became like I, I, then I had to take every single thing that I had learned ever and hold it up in front of me and say, okay, wait, what about this thing? Do I think that they were right on about that or do I have a different opinion of that? And it, 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 you know, so that marginalization was actually super helpful to me. Um, you know, the positive side of that is that I was then forced to have an opinion about every single thing. Um, and what I want to do for them is wake them up and say, okay, you're artists now, you're making theater, you're talking about human relationships, you're talking about human behavior. You have to have your eye constantly on how people work. And one of your greatest resources is you and how you work. Yeah, you, you have access to, to you most more than anyone else. Um, so what do you really think? And have you separated... What you think from what other people have told you to think. Cheers.
0: Mm. Yeah.
2: Now is the moment to stand yeah. up and say. Oh, cheers. Yeah. Man. So and this should be mandatory. This should, it should be mandatory. <laughs> and if that means putting on heels, put on heels. Do whatever you want, uh, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, yeah.
0: and it's truthful to you,
2: and it's truthful to you. So you're away, and you know, and then we get really excited, right? Because now your parents foolishly have dropped you off in New York and left you here. <laughs> and you, they're not watching anymore, right? That moment of freshman year that's so exciting when you're really calling the shots for the first time. Um, and you can do anything, yeah? Anything's open to you. You can eat your dessert before dinner.
1: I met you on the first day of my freshman year of college, Salty. You were the, uh, the mentor assigned to my group at theater school and you told us two very important things. Oh no.
0: You oh, said, the most important things?
1: have a lot of sex. <laughs> and don't buy pot in Washington Square Park. Those guys are police. <laughs> Those <laughs> are undercover cops. They're trying to nab you. You had wisdom,
2: Ian. Then <laughs> Ian. Then in Then I was just a sophomore.
1: <laughs> and now you're a senior.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: well, I'm senior alright.
1: Yeah. Door. <laughs> Door. Questions.
0: Answer question. Woo. So our first question is the crowdsource question, and you guys, we practiced the theme song beforehand.
2: Well don't tell them that.
0: <laughs> Are we ready? Yeah. Crowdsource, crowdsource questions! <laughs> yeah! We need a nope, little bit more practice. More practice. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember. thank yeah, you for singing fine. with us. Good.
1: Honesty is beautiful and amazing, and the best thing we could all ever hope for. But what about disaster stories of being honest? What about honesty that leads to really, really hurting someone? How do you reconcile that with the honesty ideal?
0: And thank you so much to everybody who wrote in. I'm so excited to include these voices in addressing this question before we all riff on it. Um, Response number one is, I look back at the honesty that hurt me, turned out to be honesty that set me free from the challenges that plagued me at the time. Communication and being vulnerable to hear one another is at the core of all successful relationships. It is hard to hear the ugliness about yourself, but life is about growth and your partner is there to walk with you hand in hand on that journey.
1: Response number two, I am a fantasy writer. I see lying like fairy tale black magic. Doing evil witchcraft and fantasy traditionally always comes at an equal cost to the magician. I'm careful with lies by considering them alchemic. White lies are less damage to oneself than incredibly big dark ones. As such, I try to let the truth come out eventually to relieve myself of any guilt or hurt that a lie might cause. I don't like to keep lies. However, often, I simply suspend the telling of the truth to the situation's benefit. A lot of my life is all about timing in this way. I withhold truths often for the sake of a sensitive and beautifully delicate partner. We have excellent communication and are very open with one another, but I break news regarding changes to her very slowly. I keep this to myself, and it feels best for me. She is dear to my heart, but just could not handle all of my truths. I keep nothing from her that would endanger her safety or health, but I don't disclose things to her until she is in a stable place if they might potentially
0: upset her. Number three. I think about this a lot. I'm a big fan of Dan Savage, who believes that lying to your partner under extreme duress is acceptable. E.g., your partner is mentally and physically frail and can no longer be a sexual partner, but has asked you to not sleep with anyone else. If you don't feel that you can live many years with no sex life, but don't want to destroy your dependent partner emotionally, you lie. Then you have the radical honesty types who believe that honesty is always the best policy. No exceptions. My own experience with little day-to-day things has been, just because I feel some discomfort doesn't mean I need to share it with my partner. For instance, if my partner is behaving in a certain way and I feel upset or sad or embarrassed, That doesn't mean necessarily that they need to change something. They may have just triggered something in me that I need to sit with. And I find after sitting with the discomfort for a bit, that more often than not, it is my own work that I need to do. That said, big things, like breaking a promise of monogamy, for example, I do believe need full disclosure.
1: The Fourth response. There is the potential for a tricky transitional period when instituting more honesty into one's life. Situations when past events and dishonesty and sugarcoating will come up against a new trend of transparency. Maybe it's about finding the policies of implementation of honesty. Like, moving forward, this is how I will conduct myself, but I don't need to go around telling everybody I know all the things I kinda sorta lied to them about. Also, from a larger and more spiritual viewpoint, if you resolve that honesty is a true and good thing to practice, then maybe any unfortunate social fallout can be understood and absorbed as necessary life events. To quote Jack Nicholson and a few good men, you want the truth? You can't handle the truth! That kind of thing might possibly happen, hopefully without the yelling and the aggressively reductive phrasing and the crew cut. Well,
0: as I always say, our <laughs> listeners are the sexiest. <laughs> Thank you, those who wrote in. Nice guys. Does anyone who want to synthesize or say what resonates with you or bridge from there?
2: I mean, woof so much about honesty uh, I think well the first thing I'm gonna say is that I think people lie all the time and uh, I've never even taught a class <laughs> <laughs> my name is not salty brine uh yeah and I think people lie all the time I think people lie all day in little ways that they don't even notice I think there there are all sorts of fabrications otherwise we couldn't survive. Um, Uh, That's what I believe. And I think then there are the big conversations. I know you guys talk about polyamory versus monogamy, or maybe not put it versus, but uh, write this person who has said, if you're going to open up the relationship, please tell the other, be honest with the other person. Otherwise it's called cheating. Yeah. 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 Um, so I think those are two very different kinds of lying, um, maybe people would disagree, maybe you guys disagree with me, but I think that, uh, I think the, th- the thing about, I mean, that going back to the original question,
0: mm-hmm. um, What about honesty that goes really, really bad? Yeah, what, what that
2: hurts what it, would that hurt somebody, you know, I think it comes down to, here's the deal, honesty hurts sometimes, and the question is, uh, in the long run, is it going to hurt the person more to hide it from them or to tell them, you know, if you're in a relationship with somebody and, uh, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is I'm gay and I've married a woman. I'm a gay man and I've married a woman. Right. Uh, or I'm dating a woman and I, and I'm not being honest with, her, I have these feelings for men. Hmm. Maybe I'm not even gay. I just have feelings for men too. Whatever. Uh, you're by not dealing with that and telling the person you're not. You know, it's a hard thing to say, and it's going to hurt them. But it's going to hurt them more later when their your relationship isn't working and that person doesn't know why.
1: Yeah.
2: You know. So so trying to have some perspective about honesty and and. You just have. You can't. You can't let your your fears and your shit get in the way of of what you would need to
1: really be saying to other people. But also, I I I I totally agree. And my New Year's resolution this year was actually um, twofold. It was um, uh, be upfront and honest when I don't know something, and be upfront and honest when I've been wrong. And that was what led me to that. Was considering even just the, the 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 little social shit where you're like the fabrications, where it's like, oh, did you watch this? Oh yeah, 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 I saw it. And like, i oh, know about, about yeah. it and I know about it yeah, and, I, yeah. and I and I, you know, but I, I didn't actually watch her, I didn't actually read it. But you, but I say yeah, just to keep the conversation going. Mm-hmm. That's I I think that that's lying, and it's not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. But I feel like introducing that little bit of dishonesty into my day, um, makes me isn't doing right by myself
0: hmm. okay
1: so but i also i haven't done the reading about radical honesty but i hear the words radical honesty and think that they could be used as screams for being an asshole that radical honesty could mean you now have the freedom to be a dick <laughs> because you're just being honest and, right, it's, you know, that's something that i have gleaned from reality television, where people who say, oh, I'm just telling it like it is, or I'm just being honest, is the best excuse for being cruel. And I think that there's a way, at best, there's a way to be honest and kind.
0: Mm-hmm. And that
1: the two need not be in opposition. Mm-hmm. Um, and they often are shown to be, like, oh, I couldn't tell him that, it would be too mean. But I think that not telling can be mean, too. And... Is it any better if it's mean and they don't know that it's mean? You know, this comes into whether morality is results-based or, or not, and it's something that I know Stephanie and I have been discussing ad nauseum. Literally ad nauseum <laughs> for a decade. But I don't know. I, I feel like there's a way, there's almost always a way to be honest, and there's almost always a way to be kind.
0: Can I jump in? Totally. The way that I... Frame that and what my f- mind first goes to is thinking about my family actually. And I was raised in the Midwest and my parents are so kind and loving and wonderful. But the way that I define the divide between us most strongly is that my mom really values comf- people, everybody's comfort over truth and I, for me, it's just the opposite. I value truth over everybody's comfort. And I've come to realize that valuing comfort over truth, like just making sure nobody's feathers are ruffled and we're all getting along, like is my mom's way of loving. And that does come from a place of love. I don't think that like you're a bad person if you value comfort over truth. But, um, I guess that's a way of, I really, really, resonates resonates what you say about there is a way to be honest and kind or honest mm-hmm. and gentle Um, and the thinking of it in like balance of comfort and truth or valuing truth over comfort, but not being unkind is the way that I like to think about it. And the world that I would like to see, which is not exactly the world we live in. So theater
1: school and then AmeriCorps and then
0: collaboration and empathy. (laughs) Um, but actually this goes hand in hand with collaboration and empathy, but I think a lot about the value of wholeheartedness. And like if you're really being truthful to yourself, Mm -hmm. like there's a, there's kind of no way to withhold big truths from people that you're close to. And I think that I do. So here's my agenda here. I do value the ideal and think it's worth striving for that. I think it is worth even when it's hard, I really, it resonates with me, the responders who said, um, that even when honesty has hurt or, or, or caused pain, that, that eventually sitting with that opens things and makes things better. That, um, I think I ultimately do come around to that, that honesty and authenticity is better. That does not believe that I live by it. 100%. I fail right. at this miserably all the time and I see the gradations of this and the complexities of this all the time. But I, I don't, even though I I know who wrote the second response about withholding certain truths from a partner and I love this person very much and have a lot of respect for her. And I, I think that ultimately saying like, Oh, this person couldn't handle this truth. I don't know. Like who are, who are you or who are I to say that? I see that that comes from a place of kindness, but I, I ultimately don't think that I think that that's, like, reflecting the world that I would really like to see. But obviously, even from the first question, everything really depends on context. We're talking a little bit in theory here, not specific. Can I ask that we go to, like, what scenarios come to mind when you hear the question? Maybe we'll read the question again. Like, um, what scenarios come to mind and, like, do you think it's, like, all-out honesty or all... Like, can we get really specific instead of theoretical?
1: something we talked about on episode two or three. Maybe it was even one of the questions we read at that opening party which was somebody who was in a monogamous I think marriage who kissed somebody else.
0: That was from the lunch party. And there's no
1: way the person they were married to would ever know short of coming clean. I
0: believe that secrets don't keep. I disagree with that. Okay. But
1: sure. Let's say 99% chance that the, that short of the person telling the person they were married to that's not going to come out. I still feel like it's the right thing to do to be upfront about it. Because, uh, because, while that may hurt, like a, like a back to the knee, not telling is a cancer that's gonna grow. It's insidious. It might not be painful in the same, brutalist way. The heart is the heart ways make...
0: that causes a chasm yeah. eventually, I think. And
1: I think that that, I think that, that, you know, I feel like there's going to be pain feel, hearing this thing that you did that you weren't supposed to do. being Lucille Bluth air quotes, spilling my <laughs> vodka. You weren't supposed to do it. But, you know, I think you'll come out the other side of that. Even if you break up. Trusting yourself, trusting people a little bit more than if it came out seven years down the road and you knew that this secret had been held. So that's a real situation where I think that the person who they were married to probably wouldn't have found out. But I think coming clean with it that we said in the first episode was the right thing to do.
0: Yeah. Dan Savage would disagree. He I says know. all the time, like, hang on to it, maybe share it down the road. I he's a total family, dig- he's doing, I totally disagree with him here. Salty? I
2: uh I don't know what you should do. <laughs> I mean I feel I feel like I don't know what I would do and I've never been in that situation. I would probably tell the person because I, but I would probably be in a relationship where mm, I would want or already have had that conversation before that even right. happened. I mean, I, that's typically the kind of relationships that I'm in where we're really talking about that stuff and probably fooling around with other people in really fun ways open about it. Yeah. Um So it, it's tricky for me to kind of get into that mindset. But I also think... Mm, it, I really believe in individual moral compasses, and uh, I I think that what do you? I mean, my I, sort of my answer is like, what do you think is right? What do
0: you like really deeply, really yeah. really
2: deeply, and following that gut feeling. Um, and I and um, and what? How do you think human beings work? And like, what would be for you the right thing to do? And then follow that with your heart and, and, and make sure though, the thing you have to do is, is say, am I, you have really have to ask yourself the question, am I doing this thing that I've chosen to do because I'm afraid, you know, or am I doing it because I really believe it, right? Mm -hmm. Am I keeping it from this person because I'm chicken shit and I don't want to face up? Right. Or do I really think this is the right thing to do? And I think asking that question over and over again about everything is, is super important. And then building your sort of moral compass from that, Mm.
1: from that.
0: That's a beautiful articulation that expands what I mean by when I say wholeheartedness. Yeah. Really wholeheartedness. And
1: yeah, the corollary of that, I think I'm using corollary correctly. I went to theater school. The corollary of that is (laughs) that you should talk about this beforehand. It, when, if you're, I feel like if you're in a partnership, that this is something that you should come up with, which like, are we allowed to kiss other people? What happens if we kiss somebody else? Talk about this stuff. Like, talking about it in theory may not always nail down what it's going to be in practice, but but I've heard so many people that I love say that when they're in relationships, they just figure they're going to cheat on each other. Don't do that! Just talk about it! (laughs) Don't do it. Well, that. that's a fascinating thing.
2: Just yeah. I mean, the world, of course, the world existed like that for, for, well, for a long, long time. At the world has existed yeah, like that. At least oh, 6,000
1: yeah. years. As long they're they're going to
2: cheat. Them. Like, everybody cheats. That's how it works. Right. We we'll just don't talk about it. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, that's I, a I, way that people exist. Absolutely. I,
0: I know a lot of people who do the don't ask, don't tell thing, that they're in outwardly monogamous relationships and just have an understanding. And... I I want to give the benefit of the doubt. Some of these people I really love and respect and trust that their relationships are very healthy. And also, I see the face for making, and I kind of make that face too, just in like like really, are you are you really like like can you really know each other that way? And I don't know because I haven't been there, and sure. I I want to I really want to give these people the benefit of the doubt, but I don't think that could ever work for me, honestly.
1: I'll link to this on Twitter because I'm I i do not remember who said it, but I saw on Twitter it's a little bit more harsh than I would say it, but it said. Hey, instead of cheating on your girlfriend all the time, maybe be in a relationship where you can sleep with other people, or maybe kill yourself. I don't know. <laughs> oh, God, that's harsh. <laughs> yeah, sorry. But I was like, I see, I see where she's coming from, a little bit. Just like, again. Very angry. Too harsh, too harsh. <laughs> it is too harsh. I know not expect. I, that's not a good idea, but,
0: but. Talk to each other about it. Talk to each other about it. Talk to each other about, each other about things. Well, two things are going to mind. Yeah. One is one of the strongest affirmations I've heard of this podcast and what we're doing is um, this person who's in a couple saying that like, I'll say over and over, you should talk to each other about things. Uh, Encourage them to carve out space for talking to each other about things, even when things are going great. Do this, yes. To to talk about things and just check Mm -hmm. in and maybe you're like, all right, cool, see you out there. But that way it's not just that you talk to each other about things when things are hard or when there's like a big hurtful honesty thing to share, but you're just in the practice of full disclosure, like uh, that may not be right for everybody. I know that like I'm wearing a particular way, but I feel like that, that has the potential to avert the kind of hurt that the person who asked this question is, is asking about.
1: I'm going to say that I agree uh, that, uh, so as a first order approximation and as much as, so I am not a moral relativist, which is but I think that that like a muscle that you build up in the gym, this is a muscle that you should build up.
0: The which, honesty the muscle? The honesty muscle, which is... The gentle honesty muscle. The gentle muscle. honesty muscle, <coughs> which
1: is not to be... Which is also what I call my penis. <laughs> 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 but I think that that's this true, is worth working on.
0: And the it, gentle honesty muscle. <laughs> you know... I feel a title for this yeah, episode. I think that this is worth working on, and I
1: think it should... I I hesitate to say should. I think it should be part of your practice and relating to people. And not, if, not just the people you're fucking with. Or fucking (laughs) not just people you're fucking. Make this a practice in your, as in your relationship to relationships, that that the people you relate to, that you find ways that you make sure that you're being your full self. And I realize that this, again, we uh, we talked about this a little bit in episode four. This is a place of privilege to be in, right? I totally get this. I am a straight white dude. I no no one in the history of the world has ever been more privileged than I am. So with that caveat, that like circumstances differ. But I think that as a first order approximation, this is worth working on in the same way that doing push-ups is going to lead to good results, even if it's really hard the first few times.
0: Next question. (laughs) I'm a straight female who was raised Catholic and has had some really bad sexual experiences. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to someone who does want to have more sex, but then when actually faced with the opportunity, I shut down. And then sometimes when I actually do have sex, I don't find that I enjoy it as much as I thought it would. Mm-hmm. Oh, huge compassion for this one. Holy shit. Just huge compassion for this one. Yeah. There, I just have so many questions for you who's asking this. Um, Such as? I just... When you shut down, what's what's the circumstance? What would you like sex to be for you? what is this exact situation that you're talking about? Um, having had really bad experiences and having a certain upbringing, it, it, I just first wanna affirm that it makes sense that you might feel like shutting down. You might like, sex is really, can be really intense and really intimate and really scary and really awesome and gorgeous and all those things, but but because of the potential for awesomeness, like it, it does have that, that hugely scary part. And I guess my first response to this is the, um, this is the Taoist thing of like, if you want to shrink something, you must first let it expand. And the idea that like feeling like if you always shut down and then you're like worried about shutting down and then you're, that you go to the next situation you're like expecting to shut down and you're like, Oh, I won't shut down this time. I'm not going to shut down this time. Oh my God. Don't shut down. Don't shut down. Don't shut down. That that like probably makes you shut down more. And so I guess like my first instinct is just to unpack what's going on when you shut down, like what is at the root of what you are fearing? Yeah, I think it's really good and hard and important to unpack fear. Is this fear of what the other person will think is this fear that this will be too intense for you. Um,
1: is there all, a lingering thought that sex is wrong and bad and dark yeah, and simple?
0: yeah, And that could be so many different things, but, but to, I guess to like, my instincts is just go easy on yourself. Sit with why you shut down. Like, I mean, I also have the, the conflicting impulse to be like, but breathe through it and go there because it because it can be so beautiful and gorgeous, but only you can know where that line is. And I really think that just like sitting with an unpacking, maybe with an awesome therapist. I love my awesome therapist that I don't see often, but I love when I go to write to me if you need an awesome therapist (laughs) in NYC. But um, it may be something you want to unpack with somebody else professionally, or it may just be something that like you need to give yourself grace. And the other thing, like, it's like when you have the opportunity to have sex, you shut down. Is that like, is there a chance that it might be good for you to move a little bit slower? Like to, when you feel a connection with somebody, be like, we're just going to make out for a while and that's going to be awesome and steamy. And then when, and if I am ready, we will go faster so that it's not like there's this moment and then you're shutting down and shutting off this moment. But it's just like, we're going to, we're going to chill with each other and be present with each other's energies, but we're not going to worry about what this should be or is supposed to be. And it's really okay to go slow and to speak up about going slow and to be where you are and to, take the time to unpack what's going on with you. Yeah. That's my initial impulse.
1: This might be a straw man, but to, but to sort of head off at the past one, one potential objection to this, which is to say like, oh, but as we date now, there's an expectation of sex at date three, or date five, or date okay. seven, or yeah. within six weeks, which is that, no, there isn't, and people who have that expectation shouldn't get to date you.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: I don't yeah. know if that's what you're feeling. Right. right, I mean, that that's the thing. It's like, what, what kind of bad experiences are we talking about, too? Because there's that, that's... Be lots of different... That can mean lots of different things. Yep. Um, but I think, Stephanie, what you said earlier, which is, like, what what kind of sex do you want to have? Um, I think is key. Um, because there's just so many different ways to have sex. And I hear a lot of people... Def- sex um, as penetrative yep, and that anything else that isn't that isn't sex um, and that's just not my take at mm. it all it's just not
0: cheers. the way cheers,
1: I cheers. think well, it's, about it it's wrong <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's I mean, I'm not going to come out and say that you get to, you get to,
0: you get to. Dave is not a moral optimist
2: language is fascinating you know, people have a definition of that word sex, but um
1: they're all uh, their opinion and they absolutely
2: wrong. are you know <laughs> but i think just lying together even fully clothed next to each other breathing and um and just even touching arms or something you know mm-hmm. can be really filled and wonderful and could bring you to orgasm very
0: sensual and sexual yeah, yeah.
1: so um, have you ever come come to climax by somebody just touching your arm really
0: I've come to climax only by breathing.
1: Yeah, by breathing. Come on. Yeah. For real. Yeah,
0: they, absolutely. So something that this book may not be for everybody. This is what I talk about a lot. Come but, well, but
1: well Breathing by Stephanie Johnson.
0: Well <laughs> is, yeah, but it might not well we talk about it. Urban Tantra. It um, is about, um, you know, rooted in some ancient spiritual sexual practices, but it's more about, like, what do you want communicating with your partner? How do you feel in your body? How would you like to feel Mm -hmm, a lot of breathing exercises for solo sex, solo tantra and the root of the Mm -hmm. word tantra is consciousness expansion for yourself and with a partner. So like tantra can be not have to do with like physical sexual acts. It can, but it rides on a, on a, I love the idea that like, everything is erotic and that doesn't mean that everybody's having sex all the time, but that there can be erotic energy in everything in a lot of things. But, um, that's getting a little off on a tangent. But why I bring up this book is there's a lot about just like sitting and breathing with a partner. And if you have a partner that you're comfortable with and who's down with that and maybe check out this book, maybe just check out sitting and breathing with a partner that like, that's another way to just like practice, being present with each other in a way. Like I, the other thing that you say is that often when you do have sex, you don't enjoy it as much as you thought you would. Mm. And so I really feel for you there and I've really been there and I feel like it's been a long journey for me and one that I'm still on, but I have experienced thinking that I'd enjoy something way more than I thought I would and hard to be honest with myself about that afterwards. But then I feel like I've been on a journey of enjoying it just as much as I thought I would because of this sounds so cliche, but like just being more present with myself and with my partner in the moment. And for me, that has a lot to do with breathing. There's a lot of talk of breathing in urban Tantra, um, warning or endorsement, how you feel. <laughs> yeah. but, um, I, uh, yes. Yeah, so I'm endorsing that book that may or may not unlock things for you there, but okay. Is
1: there so, so I know that if that I, I'd be willing to give it a shot, but I know that if somebody asked me to sit and breathe with them, <laughs> I, that I would feel really silly. Okay. What, what is is that an acceptable thing to feel while sitting and breathing with somebody? What if it just brings you to hysterics or you roll your eyes? Like when, like, how far do you push it to say, like, I'm going to find the eroticism in, in breathing?
0: Well, I would say try it anyway and challenge yourself. Sure.
1: I'll try anything twice,
0: but maybe Selfie. it's not your thing.
1: <laughs> <Selfie> and
0: <laughs> you want to try right now?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, uh huh.
0: But I think I think what's more important the the sitting and breathing thing. That's the thing Well, that's just. That's, the, that's, I mean, that's I just, just. That's not said that, but right,
2: I just, but... I just mean, you know, what do you want? Yeah. I I just I know so many people that have that have had you know, been in sexual relationships and they're, like, not enjoying the sex, and then they realize, oh, I don't really, that's not the kind of sex I like. And now I'm, now I'm looking for people that like the kind of things that I like to do. Do you know? I don't, anal sex is not my thing. I know a lot of gay, like, self-identified gay guys that feel like they have to have anal sex. Um, and and that they're ashamed that they don't like it. Hmm. And... yeah. I'm like because they they because that's sex. That's what sex is. Yeah. And if they don't have that then they're not really having sex. And but it's like that seems to me it's like oh my god, don't do anything you don't want to do. Right. You don't like that? Why are you doing yeah. it? You know what I mean? So so uh, trying to find people that aren't pressuring you, sexual partners that aren't like this is what I think sex is and this is how I want to have sex and then you're constantly worried about have I pleased them? You know, ha- have I given them the thing that they want? What do you want? Yeah. 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 And who are the people that want the same things as it's you and that want to... It's so
0: easy to focus on being desired without being in touch with what you desire. Yes. Very easy. High, high arms
1: up occupy fingers. Yay. But also, like, this is
0: something...
1: The the theme, the theme, the, the, we should change Sex for Smart People's title to You Should Talk About Things. Because, like, hey, this is something you can talk about not in the act of sex. Like, if you're having sex and you're enjoying something, you should stop okay yeah but this is something this is if you have a partner this is something that should be part of what you talk about not just did you finish house of cards or where are you on true detective or did you read the goldfish like
0: how do you like to fuck uh-huh what are you into what are you what's into? working for you about what we've been doing what have you what's always want to
1: try and nobody's done for you yes have you, have you ever felt like when you have vanilla sex it's actually not that fun like 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 this like Google sex question. I don't know. You should, you, should you should talk to you should learn about things. You can do this. It'll be fun. Oh my god, it will probably turn into something zesty. Or you might break up and that's good because then you can find somebody to fuck the it the way you want. I really feel like this is going to be a great part moving forward. And it's rough like in the like in the moment it's rough. I get like if you're in a sexual relationship or sexual relationships that you're not enjoying and you think that you should be or you feel like your physical desire is not matching your, your picture of yourself or whatever. Like that's going to be rough. But like this, I think that, I think that working through this is going to yield great results.
0: Yeah. And I just want to end with just like fierce compassion to you and being where you are on your journey.
1: And you are enough. Yes. Question three, Stephanie and Dave, you often talk a lot about gender as if there is nothing fixed about male or female. I respect everybody, and however they want to define themselves, and I know there are some people who biologically fall in between. But isn't there anything fixed about maleness and femaleness? I don't think that it is oppressive to hold on to things that are naturally occurring, like the male-female polarity. I would love to hear you dig into addressing this. Salty, Stephanie, Ooh. is there anything fixed about the male-female polarity? Or polarity, as I pronounced it in the question.
2: Well, I think first we have to say, you know, we're talking about binaries, um, male and female, and, uh, uh, you know, the difference between sex and gender, yeah, And, and so I'm not sure if that's completely clear in... We
0: sex and gender. Yeah,
2: yeah. I would love to just talk about that for a second. So, sex is biological, and you use the word biology in the question. Absolutely cool. Um, but uh, and you know that there are people that fall outside of those two. Yeah, there's actually something like what 13 or 14 chromosomal uh, mm-hmm. sex combinations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, like XY or even have XXY or XY. All yeah. these different things, mm-hmm. and and in fact, even if you think that you are. Um, one of the two most common without getting a dna test you really don't know um and we say that people outside of those uh, majority chromosome matchups are uh, have have abnormalities you know it's considered very medically you know diagnostically abnormal um and I always think, well, that's funny because I, I, since I was three years old, I've worn glasses. Um, I can't see anything. I mean, I have really, really bad eyesight. But people don't think of me as, like, abnormal and disfigured and have something wrong, you know? I do. <laughs> I know <what> you do <laughs> uh, uh,
0: Glasses wear. Yeah. Four eyes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I'm a minority, you know, people are, people are, lots of people are born with great vision and I'm not, but I'm not, I don't, there's not a stigma around that, you know, we talk, start talking about sex and suddenly there's this, um, this stigma.
0: Capitalist shoulds creep in.
2: Yeah. Um, and so sometimes... People's different chromosome matchups, sex chromosomes, um, are something that's very visible. And sometimes it's not. And uh, so you don't know. So that's one thing, and that's sex. And then there's uh, gender, which is a little bit more tricky to talk about. But I think having a conversation about binaries is super Can important. I just interject? Yeah.
0: Generally, like, the difference between sex and gender, in case you're not familiar, is, like, sex is more biological and gender is more psychological. Like, how, standard is more, like, how you wear yourself or who you identify to be?
2: Yeah, it's performative and it's in the language.
0: Where j- sex is like sex biology. is science,
2: sex is like fact. It's like we can we can look in a microscope and we know this thing and it's true. Um but gender even is, that is more complicated. But than even a that that can't be fit into a binary right. either. Mm. Um, absolutely. Gender is theory, right? It's it's about all of the great thinkers since the Greeks and everything that they wrote down up until now and the current big thinkers. Um, and what they think, and they write these books that um, most people, including me, have a really, really hard time reading, because every other word you have to look up, and they're, they're very, very complicated critical penis, theories. Penis, penis, It's mostly, <laughs> I know that word, but then it's all the other ones I don't know. Right. Um, and they're wonderful people, I love those people, but it takes a while for that real big, brainy, SAT word philosophy stuff to trickle down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, Judith Butler wrote this incredible book called Gender Trouble Mm. in the 90s, and it's just now starting to trickle into... Um, our lives we're starting to understand gender as more and more people are starting to understand gender as performative Mm -hmm. gender is not real gender this now again this is theory right this is not fact this is theory this is what these really really smart people that have read everything that philosophers have written since the beginning of time Mm -hmm. have started to unpack and they think that gender is performative that it's not real and uh that there it's all based on binary systems which is through language so mm-hmm. structuralism says that we have these binaries up and down black and white um and we categorize these uh, lots of things into different binaries okay and post structuralism says uh, that those binaries are dangerous because uh one is usually dominant over the other mm. Mm. Male is dominant over female. Up is dominant over down. Good is dominant over evil. Mm-hmm. White is dominant over black, right? I would posit further that uh, not only are the, those binary systems really destructive, they don't actually exist mm. either. Right? They're not real. So uh, an example of that is like if you put 200 people in a room together, um... And you said, and you really looked at the skin color of each person, okay? Every single one of those people would have a different skin color, even if all of the people that you put in the room were what we consider white. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? So that's not an actual, it's not a, in the real world, that's not an actual, real way to separate people. We do it, it's imaginary, we do it. Yeah, and that's not to take away anybody's culture or, uh, you know, ethnicity, ways that I'm I'm celebrating all those things. I'm just saying when you actually look at people and more and more as as race lines break down and people start crossing over, procreating across race lines, those colors are going to get even more interesting. And And gender is the same way to me. There are as many genders as there are people. Everybody's skin color is slightly different than the person next to them. And everybody's gender is slightly different than the person next Mm -hmm.
0: to them. So... So
1: yeah, please go ahead. I
0: just, two things come to mind. Uh, two articulations of this that have really, because, like, I hear all that you're saying, and I get it, and I agree with it, mm-hmm. but then, like, to, like, but, like, how do I, like, look at the world and, and yeah. make that land for me? Two sort of models that have really opened up my thinking around this or, and challenged my thinking around this are that instead of, because um, the question the, Uses the word polarity, which Mm -hmm. speaks to me like binary, like instead of a binary, like on a spectrum, like from one side to the other, Mm -hmm. thinking of gender, like as a web or galaxy, like a three dimensional thing that you can, that doesn't deny that like we can recognize like maleness or femaleness as like something that's like culturally understood. That's something we can talk about things in reference to, but that, um, That's, but it's not as if you, like, if you are more male, then you are less female. If you're more of one thing, you're less Mm -hmm. of the other. You can be, you can be all male and all female or, or neither. You can be any gradation of anywhere in between. And that doesn't mean that we have to dispense with all talking about maleness or femaleness, Mm -hmm. but that, um, but that, uh, like in terms of talking about, like, what's biological, like, uh, like, there are, there are biological things, but there are, as I love what you said about the different gradations of skin color, there are so many different gradations of gender.
1: So what if somebody says this is all East Coast liberal elite faffery that, there are, boys, a lot. there are boys and there are girls, and okay, you can talk your ivory tower words, Yeah. but at the end of the day, there's boys and there's girls, and you can decide to fit, you can decide to be a boy or a girl, or you can decide to be weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, you know
2: what I'd say to that? I'd say, you're absolutely right, because that's what you believe. The thing is that the world's going to change, and language is going to change, uh-huh. and we have no control over that. I actually, you know, there's people that are fighting that are out there that are activists, and they're going to change, that, that all of this is going to shift, and it's going to shift when it's going to shift. Uh-huh. And you can either jump in and get messy with gender and play, or you can, you know, sit back and be, you know, feel comfortable where you are and comfort is important to you, and that's what's important to you, do you know? Um, I just urge you not to be mean. That's the biggest thing. And as long as you're not mean to anybody, whatever you want to think about your gender and how gender works, that's cool. Uh, but, you know, if you, if you, Our person asking this question, you know, if this is something that you're really trying to wrap your brain around, start thinking about your gender Mm -hmm. as like your own personal thing that has all of these textures to it. Mm. That's really exciting, yeah? I mean, another thing is uh, intersectionality, right? This idea that we talk talk about gender, we talk about manness and womanness or maleness and femaleness uh, um, as if we could distill it. But we can't, it's so interwoven into everything that we do and everything that we are. We can't actually pull it out. And that's part of the reason why it's so hard to talk about, you know? Uh, so your gender it connects with your age, it connects with your race, it connects with your class, it connects with your nationality, it connects with your family life, it connects with all of these different things. So you can play at one moment. Uh, girl lost that needs help which is a really fun thing to play and you can also play dominatrix you can play uh butch guy that um wants to take what he whatever he wants or you can play you know these are all you can play sort of older wiser men or you can play you know all sorts of different things and i'm gender fluid so like all throughout my day my gender changes all the time, and I play different things based on how I'm feeling, what happened to me yesterday, who I'm talking to, uh, what I'm worried about, what I'm thinking about.
1: I, I have two questions about that, which yeah. is, so separate from, from biological science sex, what even is gender? And the second mm-hmm. question is, If are you, is everyone gender fluid and you've tapped into it, or are some people, they have one? My
2: opinion is that everybody's gender fluid. Yeah. Um, That that most likely, I I, and again theory, but I think that most people do things that don't uh, do some things that don't completely align with man or woman. That people that all people live outside of those things. Okay. Like uh, I remember the day I learned not to cross my legs a certain way because that. how girls do that's how girls cross their legs i'm sitting like that right now i'm sitting like how (laughs) women cross their legs yeah Yeah, and i was told um somebody came up to me and they were like dude you know i must have been 11 and they were like guys don't sit like that yeah um so i was policed yeah and um we grow up policing each other we grow up in worlds where that happens and for some people it's very easy to say oh Okay. Oh, I just won't sit like that anymore. Because I'm a because I'm a boy. Because I'm a guy, and I feel comfortable being a guy, and guys don't sit like that. Okay, I don't sit like that anymore. Yeah, for me, that's not that becomes a matter of life and death. Yeah. Um, I feel very trapped by that mm-hmm. policing, um, and if I can't, and that I,
0: policing makes certain individuals and identities invisible.
2: Right. Then I can't. Then I can't live in this web. I have to live in one or the other place. Um, I think gender. I think everybody's gender is different because my proof of that is all that I know is that I'm not a man and I'm not a woman and I don't feel like a man and I don't feel like a woman. Therefore I must be something else. Therefore I have a different gender than either of those two things.
0: Therefore you are salty. Therefore I am
2: salty. Also my name, interestingly enough, isn't gendered and I grew up without a gendered name, um, which I just find kind of, I don't know how, how, if that has affected me in any way, but, um, but I will say, just to go back to your question, Dave, about what gender... Is, what is gender, anyway? Yes. It's a performance. Um, How so, we wear ourselves. Yeah, our, our bodies are tools to display social meaning. And we wear lots of things, including gender, all over our bodies. And mm-hmm. so I mean clothes. I mean the way we talk. I mean the way we stand and move and walk. Um, makeup, no makeup, jewelry. all of those, All of those things. And also energy and... Yeah, uh, f- fluid energy or aggressive energy and sharp energy. Um, and we align those things with either man or woman, male or female. Our language is gendered, you know, uh, how many languages have feminine and masculine words? You know, everything's broken up into that binary. Yeah. yeah. And so we're just living at a time right now, I really think the language is going to change. And it's just a matter of time. And we may not see it in our
0: lifetimes. I don't know. Yeah. And so person who wrote in... Choose to considering all this feedback. Yeah, thanks like, for even if considering. this all doesn't resonate with you deeply yeah. at the moment, like that's Wiki
2: cool
1: question. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, that's a question I would just love everybody to ask. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So the the, the so in summary, gender is different from sex and shit's complicated. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> On to quickies.
1: Quickies. i would um, like to go first? Go for it.
0: Because it relates to what we were just talking about. Um this blog post that I love called The Revolution Will Be Polite uh-huh. <laughs> it's, uh, is on this uh, blog, Amba danceress, which is like a, a swing partner dancing blog, okay. talking about just like how revolutionary it is for anybody of any gender when asking someone to dance mm-hmm. to say, would you like to lead or follow? Sweet. And for everybody to learn to lead and to follow and to love changing it up. And just like that, that's such a simple thing that is actually pretty revolutionary
1: sweet nice Always dig it um mine are uh are three uh tweets from zach Handelin, who's a writer for the av club that he did uh in february uh which uh, relate to pick up lines and plays so here are the three girl are you a pinter play because just oh god only <laughs> i don't <laughs> i don't know i've been here but i don't i don't <laughs> Jesus. And then, (laughs) That's nerdy. Theater nerds. Girl, are you a Beckett play? Because I tell you I can't complain, but there's nothing to be done. And oh, all is just this. Oh, it is on and on. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Girl, are you a Brecht play? Because I'm using an old joke structure in order to express my (laughs) pessimism and fundamental terror (laughs) of loneliness. Um, yeah. So I thought that was really funny. Gorgeous. Um, And I laughed. Theater-related humor.
2: Oh. I like it. My quickie is just a big old shout out to Kate Bornstein. Oh, she's who Is banana. one of my heroes, um, uh, gender outlaw. Wrote a book called Gender Outlaw. Is a gender outlaw. And my
0: gender workbook.
2: And yes, and an incredible book called, uh, uh, oh God, I'm not going to remember the name, but it's uh, oh Hello Cruel World, yes. 101. Uh, 101 mm-hmm. Tips for Teens, Freaks, and Other Outlaws. Something like mm-hmm. that. It's like it's just a book. It's a list of 101 things that are better than killing yourself. Mm-hmm. It's a great book. Um,
0: My friend gave it to his 17-year-old daughter as a gift. Great. And I wish that... We I gotta tell you, I'm 33 I years
2: old, and I, sometimes I turn to that book if I'm having a bad day. And I need something to do um, that's gonna help me. It's an incredible book. Anyway, if anybody knows Kate, say... Please please tell her that Salty Brian really really knows that she lives in New York and really 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 wants to meet her. I love you Auntie Kate. Thank you for <laughs> saving my <me> life.
0: <laughs> so that's it for episode 11. It was good for me. Yeah. Was it good for you? Listeners, dear listeners. Um <laughs> Thank you so much to the amazing Salty Brian. And on our next episode, I'm thrilled to welcome Sabrina Morgan. They are a sex and gender justice advocate and a sex educator facilitator who have been speaking on sex workers' rights issues since 2009. Fascinated with the places where society and sexuality intersect, They started out as a phone sex operator with an activist streak in a blog and have been practicing kink-focused sex work since 2005. They have presented internationally on kink, tantra, sex work, trafficking, media, advocacy, and policy. They are just so insightful and wise and so excited to be in conversation with them.
1: Well, that sounds good
0: yeah
1: it's good uh, okay um and remember to to write <laughs> in um with uh your responses to our crowdsource question um you know oh, are you yeah. familiar with it because it's a it's a crowdsource question,
0: crowdsource question. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. everybody guys every this theme song is sweeping the globe i want you to know but yeah um uh, so here's the crowdsource question <laughs>
0: unstoppable just
1: again uh, my question is about tinder i am from montreal and most users in montreal clearly understand the app to be for hookups The dirty talk routinely begins within five minutes of the first chat, but that doesn't seem to be the case at all here in Chicago, where I've recently moved, which really throws me off balance. The sexual culture here strikes me as being somewhat conservative. I don't even know how to use Tinder anymore, since many local users appear to be turned off by the very idea of hooking up. Is there a Midwestern protocol to follow, or am I bound to use Tinder as if it were another version of (laughs) Match.com? Listeners. Send us your answers.
0: Please do. Thoughts on hookup culture. Thoughts on Midwest culture.
1: And um, remember um, to go to patreon.com slash sex with smart people and, you know, throw us a a buck 280 or or, or whatever you got. Or tell a friend. We we love having you around. We want even more of you around.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time.
1: Okay, bye!
2: So, What's the sexiest, eh? I think armpit hair is the sexiest. Woo! <laughs> there, I've
1: said it. I can't take it back. Sticking with tough conversations is the sexiest.
0: Mm-hmm. Kate Bornstein is the sexiest. Yeah,
1: totally.